Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, we visit with Rebecca Hodge, author of Wildland, a gripping and emotional novel of acceptance, survival, and courage. After Kat Jamison learns her breast cancer's return, she retreats to the Blue Ridge Mountains to make a difficult decision, fight for her life or reunite with her husband in the afterlife. After meeting two children and a pair of abandoned dogs, Kat's emotions are deeply confused. And then when a wildfire begins in the forest, Kat must now guide her small crew to safety. New York Times bestselling author Diane Chamberlain had this to say about the book. Heart-stopping. Hodge shows great skill in writing a story that's both touching and exhilarating. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Landis. It's great to be here. Yes, that's nice praise there. That is high praise. <laughs> I, uh, Diane uh, pretty much blew me away when that yeah. uh, when that yeah. quote came in. Yeah, it stopped your heart, right? It totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have so much respect for her work. Well, you shouldn't be too surprised. You were, you, you, you were a finalist in the Women's Fiction Writers Association Rising Star Contest. Uh, Wildlands was, was selected by Apple Books for their best of February and best of the year so far in the June list, 2020. Um, and yet, Rebecca, you're a veterinarian and a scientist. I am. Yeah, that was my first and second careers uh, with motherhood tossed in there as a career as well, um, which um, I, I don't know, maybe it implies boredom on a successive uh, uh, series, but um, it's been fun to move into the writing space. 
Yeah, and we're going to talk about that, listeners, uh, on our Patreon page. You can jump over after uh, this episode and go to uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you're going to learn how a how a vet goes from doing what vets do to doing what writers do. <laughs> we're going to learn a little bit more about that journey and how that how that happens. So, uh, but but speaking of which, Rebecca, uh, just a little bit of flavor for that here. H- how does your work as a a scientist overlap and integrate with uh, writing fiction? Well, I think it it certainly applies in terms of an enthusiasm for research, for investigating the details behind what I'm writing, uh, probably to too great a degree sometimes. I um, You can ask me anything you want to know about wildfires right now, and um, only a small fraction of that made it into the book. But uh, so I think that uh, that aspect of my professional career certainly plays plays a role. And there's no question that dogs and cats and goats tend to wander into whatever I write, uh, even if that's not the original plan. Um, I think um, it's been fun to um, move from the one approach to the other. Yeah. Well, I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't have a follow-up question there, uh, like I wasn't listening or something. What? Tell us about wildfires. What can you boil down you know, in, <laughs> in, in, in a nutshell from all this research? I was amazed to find out how many fires are ongoing at any given moment around the world and to also discover the enormous number of plants that rely on wildfires in order to propagate. And so fire is certainly an integral part of the normal ecosystem. The problem arises, obviously, when we put buildings and human beings in their path. Um, So it was very intriguing to learn how they move, how they develop, um, how animals are affected by an ongoing fire. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the the, the storyline here in a little bit, which does involve a wildfire. Um, What is it about, uh, you know, wildfires that caused you to want to put uh, some of these lovable characters in the path of such of such of such a thing. Well, this the origin of this book was uh, a Sunday afternoon when I was talking on the phone to my youngest son, who lives in Boulder, and he happened to mention very casually that he was standing on the balcony of his apartment watching helicopters drop water on a fire that was so close that he could see flames. And so the mom part of my head kind of freaked out, but the writer part started wondering what it would be like to write a story with fire as the background. And so that was my starting point. And certainly the characters evolved over time, but the consistent uh, thrust of the book was that I wanted the fire to be both background and character, that, that the fire essentially functions as an antagonist. And puts my characters to the test, I think. Yeah, it is very much an antagonist. Sometimes the antagonist is a, is, is a person. Sometimes it's a place. And this thing, it's a, a it's a raging fire. And you know, you talked about the fires out west, and there, you know, there's been a lot in the news about that in the last couple of years. Um, how about the east? Because your book is set, you know, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Is what's going on around here? 
Yeah. So I said it in the East in part because I'm so much more familiar with the terrain of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And and so certainly that's where my comfort level um, lay. But the fires a few years back that impacted the Gatlinburg area and Pigeon Ford certainly underscore the fact that fires are not unique to the West. My, the other factor that drove my thinking was that out West, one of the factors that makes things very tough are incredibly high winds that can truly create conditions that are um, unmanageable. And I was, wasn't willing to quite throw that at my characters. I wanted something a little uh, slower moving. Um, and, and so those factors were all involved in my putting the fire in the east in the east in the blue ridge yeah and you've uh, you've got a, a love for this part of the country the blue ridge mountains uh to tell our readers a little bit our listeners a little bit about the setting that you put this in so the book takes place south of Asheville. Um, it started out being anchored in a real physical spot, but as the story evolved, um, it became clear that I needed to play around with geography a little bit in order to have what I wanted to happen. And so there's not an actual physical spot on the map that you can point to that has all the geographic features that are referenced in the book. But I did try and um, remain consistent with uh, North Carolina vegetation, with the way that um, the Appalachian Trail moves through the Blue Ridge Mountain and impacts uh, areas around them. Um, the pond that's described as one point in the book is typical of, of North Carolina ponds. And, and so I did try and be as accurate as I could be, but, uh, certainly there was some fictional, um, opportunism taking place there. Yeah. The pond where you have to go if there's a fire closing in on you, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, let's talk about the uh, title of the book, Wildland. And I'm looking at the cover here. It's a You've got this uh, you know, silhouette or profile of a of a woman. Her her hair looks like it's blowing. Uh, there's this uh, sort of fiery orangish color behind her, as if she's con- almost as if she's consumed in fire. There. Yeah, I love the cover of the book, and I think that the feedback on that cover has been very positive. Unfortunately, I can claim zero credit for both the title and the cover. Um, As people may realize, um, title and cover belong to the marketing department and not to the author and editor. And um, I had worked closely with the publisher to develop both a title and and cover that we we all thought was going to go well that was released and the publisher quickly in it released for early review uh, activities and the publisher quickly decided that it wasn't working and to their credit instead of simply shrugging and moving on they pulled the original title and cover and started over and uh, this was the result um, and it certainly I think has been effective all right I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what the original title was so my original title was margin of safety they felt that was too technical which I yeah. thought was rather humorous <laughs> and so the title we mutually agreed on was edge of safety Okay, and it went from edge of safety to wild to land. To wild land, yeah. I don't know. Wild land has this sort of okay. There's you know this thing going on, but 
No, nothing with fire in the title, not wildfire or... or, or. Well, interestingly, wildland written as one word is actually a term used by firefighters referring Mm. to undeveloped land that is at fire risk. And so if you read uh, firefighting blogs and and things of that nature, the term crops up frequently. Oh, well, hey, that that makes sense. Learn something new every day. How about that? (laughs) well, let's talk about the storyline for a minute, and 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 your uh, protagonist, Cat uh, Jameson. Uh, she is. You you come into this story, and uh, you know I enjoyed the early chapters. I'm reading along, and uh, you've got uh, the daughter who's trying to talk the mother into going back to see the doctors, but she's been through several years of treatment for breast cancer. She's got a recurrence under her armpit, I believe, is where she's got a lump, and she's now trying to decide, you know. Her husband's passed on. Should she just let nature take its course, since we're speaking of nature, or should she fight it? And she's going to go to the mountains for a month and sort of think about it, reflect about it. And uh, her daughter's kind of nudging her along and leaves her with a with a present, right? What'd she leave her with? She leaves her with a dog, which Cat <laughs> is not happy to receive. Um, and uh, Junie, the dog, has uh, lost her original owner. For, um, Sarah, the daughter, is very involved in um, in rescue animal work. And so Cat had envisioned a month uh, completely on her own, and she's suddenly responsible for an active Labrador. And this kind of starts her on the path of um, having to embrace some unexpected interactions in this uh, month of solitude. I mean, who would have thought that a veterinarian who's a writer would think, what am I going to give this? <laughs> and I got a couple, couple, couple extra dogs lying around. I'll give, I'll give them a dog. It's right out of Save the Cat. You give them a, give them an animal and everybody just, all, oh, that's, that's nice. You know, no matter how, get off to a rough start, if they have a dog or a cat or something, they're going to be going to be okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know from my own dogs that there's nothing like walking with a dog to uh, kick off conversations. And so that's that's very true. (laughs) But but, but let's talk about this idea for Cat a minute. What you talked about this idea, you know, for the fire, but you had to come up with a character and you had to come up with Mm -hmm. a reason to put her in that situation. Why breast cancer? Why that line of thinking for this particular story? Yeah, it's a great question. My original vision for the book was envisioning it as a father-daughter story. And as I started sketching it out, I quickly decided I didn't want both the father and daughter trapped in the fire. I wanted the daughter trapped, the father on the outside. Well, I couldn't have this little girl trapped by herself. And so I hypothesized uh, a woman, a middle-aged woman, who didn't, wasn't very comfortable in the outdoors and who was placed in a position um, where she was with this young girl. And um, so, okay, nice hypothesis, but what the heck is she doing there in the mountains? And so I literally started brainstorming, making a list of, you know, okay, why could she be remote and in the mountains? And I found myself writing down the breast cancer option and I had to set the pen down and go for a long walk. Um, I'm currently a little past the 10-year mark from a diagnosis with bilateral breast 
breast cancer. But at the time I was brainstorming, this was, you know, four or five years ago, and it was a lot closer to the surface. And I wasn't sure that I could immerse myself for that length of time in a story that hit that close to home. But the more I thought about it, the more it resonated with me as um, a, a very viable way of demonstrating the difference between thinking about death in a very remote way and dealing with death this minute and the way that we react differently in those two different settings. And once I decided to, well, I convinced myself that, okay, just give it a shot. You'll know whether this is something you want to do or not. And once I start writing, started writing Kat's story, it became clear that the story belonged to her and she became my main character. Hmm. That's an interesting background. You have a little bit of experience yourself that you can bring, bring to the page. Your subconscious is certainly going to bring it there you know, as you're writing, get in her head a little bit. Well, let's do this. We uh, like to give voice to written words on, on the podcast here. We've got uh, a reading from the book. And uh, why don't you set this up for us? Tell us sort of where we are. And maybe if there's a character or two in here that we hadn't talked about yet, you can sort of set the stage for that too. Well, at the section that I'm going to read here, Kat and the two children, Lily and Nirov, have discovered that there is a fire in the valley below them. They're staying at a cottage that's quite high up. And they've gotten in the car, are going down the, the sole road that gives them access, and uh, their passage is blocked. The fire has burned across the road, and they've had to stop the car. Um, the other character referred to here is Sarah, and she is Kat's daughter. Kat climbed out of the car, coughing, as she took in a lungful of smoke. Her eyes watered, and she blinked hard to see. Intense heat pulsed toward her, as if the fire were exhaling to warn her away. She stood at least ten yards back, but the heat seared her face and the fronts of her arms and legs. She broke into an instant sweat. Glowing cinders blew forward from the flames, two landing on her shorts. She brushed them off fast, but they left flecks of black on the fabric. Ashes clung to her hair, her face, her clothing. She took a few tentative steps toward the tangle blocking their way, but the fire advanced, jumping toward her along the dry grass that lined the verge of the road. Bizarrely, birds... Red-winged blackbirds, sparrows, even a few bluebirds swooped low to the ground at the very edge of the advancing flames. Cat watched in confusion until a grasshopper leaped high in panic, only to be plucked from the air in mid-jump by a barn swallow. Cat wanted to run, wanted to scream, but her legs froze and her voice locked. She stood hypnotized, staring at the flames transfixed like a mouse, immobilized by the sight of a cat. The fire spoke in tongues, pops and crackles as pockets of sap exploded, whispers as the dry grasses caught, shuddering crashes as branches and whole trees fell in the distance. She had imagined a nicely behaved fire, something managed by a friendly red fire engine with a stream of water sufficient to quell a nuisance. Such suburban approaches would be hopeless here. This fire wasn't domesticated. It was a predator. 
Cat trembled, tentacles of fear tightening down on every muscle, her body crackling with tension. She'd convinced herself she could meet death head on, but she hadn't expected it so soon. She was going to die on this mountain, not home in her bed. She had minutes, not months, and she couldn't even tell Sarah goodbye. Grief flooded every cell and swamped her thinking. She shook herself, forcing herself back into action. Move, damn it, do something. She couldn't afford to waste time. She glanced into the trees and underbrush on the right, thinking perhaps they could scramble around the burning roadblock on foot, but the thick undergrowth already smoldered. Even if she'd been alone, she didn't think she could outflank the, the flames. Kat coughed and wiped her eyes against her sleeve, her head pounding, then hurried back to the car and got in. She twisted in her seat and gave the children what she hoped was a reassuring look, but based on the horrified expressions on their faces, they must have recognized the truth. We'll be fine. Perhaps if she kept saying it, she'd believe it. The words didn't stop her heart from pummeling her ribs with a force that shook her whole body. She glanced at her cell phone. No bars, no signal, no surprise. We'll be fine, honest. She threw the car into reverse. We'll just move on to plan B. Her voice shook only a little, sounding almost confident, an actress playing her part. Inside, pure terror was winning. They weren't going to drive down this mountain to safety. They weren't going to reach Scott and Malcolm. They weren't going to call anyone for rescue. Plan B didn't exist. And that's a good one to get you to turn to the next page. <laughs> that's because, the theory, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Because because they were trying to drive down the mountain because she's rented a place near the top of the mountain. And so what do you do? The, the flames are coming in on you. Um, and so you've got this theme of survival. Uh, starts out in the book, maybe I don't want to survive any longer. But then it you turn it on its head and it's very much this race for survival. Well, Kat is trapped into that position initially because she is responsible for two children and a couple of dogs as well. And so she initially is doing it for others. Ultimately, she does reach a point where she has to make a choice for herself. And I won't uh, give away her decision. <laughs> no, we'll do that. We're, we're not about spoilers on Charlotte's right. podcast. Yeah. But uh, give us a, an example of the kind of uh, terrain they're in and what they're facing. Because, you know, when they go back up the mountain, there's not any way out unless somebody can find them. So she's got to make some judgments about, you know, look, I'm not a, I'm not a Girl Scout, but we're going to have to. We're going to have to get out in the woods here. We're going to have to move, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, initially by car, subsequently by foot, uh, their goal is to keep moving. And um, they end up um, trapped, essentially. Um, their best efforts uh, don't work completely. And tough choices are made along the line. Yeah, so when you're, when you're writing this book, um, you know, you're – you're familiar with the mountains. Did you kind of go out into the woods and kind of visualize, you know, where something like this might happen and what the terrain might look like and 
how you might get trapped and what, what options might exist? I certainly did a lot of visualization in my head. Um, I've done a lot of hiking and camping in the North Carolina mountains as well as out west. And so um, there was definitely a, a picture in my head all the time when I was writing. And that's actually true regardless of what I'm writing about. Um, I tend to um, to anchor into the visual, uh, when I'm, when I'm working. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it was the advantage, however, in fiction, as opposed to film is if I discover that I need something that I hadn't expected, I can wave a magic wand and make it happen. And so, um, that's the fun part, I think, of writing. Uh, I think the work definitely evolves as you go on. So tell us a little bit more about who she's protecting. She's got animals and children, right? She does. Yeah. There's a young girl named Lily who is 12 years old, who has come to the mountains with her father. This is an annual month that they spend together. And the father, her father, um, Scott, has surprised her with a... um, month in the mountains and his hope of going backpacking. But the 12-year-old who gets off the plane to join him is not any longer the outdoorsy young girl that he had seen a year previously. And so Lily is not very happy to be where she is. And the other child is Nirov, who is nine years old. And um, his uh, adopted father, Malcolm, has just returned um, with him from Pakistan. Um, Nirav is in a new country uh, with a new father. Um, the book is actually narrated in part from Malcolm's perspective. And one of the things I enjoyed most about getting into Malcolm's head was the fact that he is a super competent person with a military background. In he's For years, he's been working in a job where he knows exactly what to do every moment. And now he has suddenly stepped into the role of being a dad and he is utterly overwhelmed. And uh, so I really enjoyed his character as well. But those are the two children that find themselves with Kat when the fire um, arrives. Did did you start out thinking that this was going to be this sort of fast paced kind of run for your life, you know, kind of figure this thing out? Or were you thinking about something else when you first got started? Because the fire was my starting point in my thinking, I always anticipated that it would there would be a fair amount of action. And mm-hmm. to be honest, as a writer, I do better writing scenes where there is movement and activity going on. Um, I'm not the best person to write a scene where two people are sitting over coffee and and sharing deep secrets. Um, that that's not uh, not my strength. Um, so maybe that's your practical scientist veterinarian coming out. <laughs> <in here. laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Write <laughs> yeah, them in and write them out. There you, there you uh, go. <laughs> well, 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 let's do this. Let's shift a little bit to a few writing life questions before we jump over to Patreon here. Um, we talked about your your background in, in clinical research as a scientist and veterinarian, and you've moved into fiction writing because uh, you like that creative side. Um, you've got dogs. You, I thought this was interesting. You said you've got two crazy dogs and one patient husband. I thought you were very particular about that. You didn't say you had two patient husbands and one crazy dog. No. 
Uh, one husband, <laughs> let's see, by the time this episode airs, we will have celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary. Oh, so uh, so he's a uh, very patient person. <laughs> Congra- congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, you know, working, uh, writing and working and writing and living life with other people, how, how did you maintain the balance in the writing world uh, to do this thing called write a novel and do all these other things you were doing? Yeah. So when I wrote Wildland, I was working full time um, for uh, various pharmaceutical companies, um, a professional job with a 60 hour a week commitment. And, you know, the adage is write every day. Well, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen. <laughs> and uh, Wildland was definitely written primarily on the weekends. Um, you know, I could was able to uh, find chunks of time in the weekends. Uh, I would try and touch base with it during the week. Um, and vacation time was often spent, at least in part, uh, attending workshops and conferences and, and that sort of thing. Um, it is perhaps not optimal to write in that manner, but you can do it. And, uh, it took me about two years to write the book to the point where I felt happy enough with it to look for an agent. Um, currently I'm retired. I do some intermittent consulting, uh, work and, uh, now I am able to write most days Um, And there's certainly advantages to that if you have the luxury to do so. But um, my advice would be, even if you don't have that optimal setup, don't let that slow you down. What drew you to it? You you had this busy job. Um, What drew you to writing? It started out just playing around, you know, jotting down things, seeing images. It was not something that I um, intended to develop. I I wasn't finishing stories. I was just playing around. And many years ago, locally in Raleigh, there was one of these uh, free grab-it newspapers that had an annual short story contest. And um, I decided, okay, this is a deadline. I'm a good deadline person. I will commit that I'm going to finish something and submit it to this contest. So I met my deadline. I sent it in. I kind of forgot about it. I won second place, which blew me away. And that still did not convince me that writing for other people to see was something I wanted to do. About two weeks after the short story was published, I was out getting the mail and a neighbor who at the time was in her mid-60s came over to me and said, are you the person who wrote this story. It was a story about uh, a woman who was staying in an abusive um, relationship for the sake of the children and the impact it had on the children involved. And the uh, and it's not factual, by the way, let me hasten to add, but, um, but this neighbor came to me and said, I was meeting someone for lunch. Someone had left this newspaper sitting on the table. And while I waited for her to get there, I read your story. And tears started pouring down her, her cheeks. And she said, 
you got it right. This mm. was my family. You got it right. And we sat there, stood there in the street for many minutes. Both of us were in tears at that point. And it was a huge shift for me to recognize that what I put on the page could reach out to other people. And I think that was a definitely something that moved me forward in believing that um, writing things, actually finishing them, and actually trying to put them out in the world potentially had value. Yeah, that's a great story. And in that vein, what do you hope that, uh, what do you hope readers are going to get uh, from Wildland? I think the, the, the goal of the book is choose life, regardless of what life throws your way. And um, if readers walk away with that as a sense, um, then, then that's a great thing. Um, I've gotten some amazing emails from people who have read the book and have been very touched by the fact that uh, the book has resonated with people. That's great. And you're not done yet. You're working on something else, right? I am. The next book is called Over the Falls, and it comes out September 7th of this year, 2021. So we have a cover and production is rolling forward, and I'm excited that it'll be out before all before too long. Good gosh, you're trying to kill us with fire. Now you're going to put us over a waterfall. Is that it? So. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, see not, I can't I can't I can't leave you safe at home, can I? <laughs> I? I see a theme a theme emerging here. There you go. That's great. Well, this has been great. Uh, listeners, we're gonna uh jump over uh here uh, to Patreon. Uh join us there because we're gonna talk about uh you know how Rebecca has taken uh this 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 passion which developed in a street side conversation. She said, I, I think I want to do this and and how she did it and how she went about it and how she's now published uh, one, one book out with a, with a good publisher and another one coming out soon. So uh, that's at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Hey, Rebecca, thanks so much for being on Charlotte Readers Podcast. Oh, thank you, Landis. This has been great. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.